Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Hello, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. That is tidings of comfort and joy right there, right? I mean, that is how we need to start all of our Sundays, all of our Christmas services, I think. My name is Kristen. I am one of the pastors here. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, live stream. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you guys as well. I'm glad y'all are hyped. I'm glad you're hyped. Okay, we needed to get you like happy and pumped up and dancing this morning before we jump into our topic, which might be a little heavy. We're going to talk about finding Jesus in crisis this morning. So we're in the middle of this series called Finding Jesus, which is why he's actually missing from the nativity here. Because sometimes it seems like we, we can't find Jesus in Christmas, even though it seems to be about him. And last week, Pastor Naeem started it off. He talked about how we can find Jesus in confusion among all of the noise and all of the different voices. And today we're going to talk about how we can find Jesus in crisis. So there's actually, we're going to jump right in. There's a lot of crisis in the Bible. And David was no stranger to crisis. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. And I'm actually going to read you the same verse twice. The message translation just really stuck with me. And it says this in Psalm 34. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. The GNT, the good news translation says, the Lord, <clears throat> sorry, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. So if that is you this morning, if you feel like you've been kicked in the gut, you can't catch your breath, you cannot find hope, you are in the middle of a crisis, you are in the right place. And crisis can mean lots of different things to lots of different people, right? You can experience a personal crisis, something you go through by yourself. We have communal crises, maybe something within a family or a people group, maybe at work. There is a nationwide crisis. I mean, right now we are in the middle of a global crisis, pandemic, right? That does not seem like it's ever going to go away. By definition, a crisis is a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. A crisis can be a one-time incident. And some of us sometimes go through a crisis and we're like, oh, it's just today, it's just today. I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get through it. And we forget that there are actually lasting effects where a crisis ends up usually feeling more like a season. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Can anybody relate, right? I mean, all of us right now, I feel like this is what we're in. Actually, just thinking about our community, thinking about you guys prepping for this, I know that sometimes at Christmas, it almost feels like the crisis is highlighted and it's hard to celebrate. It can be hard to find the joy and the peace that we're looking for in the middle of a crisis. And I know there are things 
Some of you are going through, some of you are experiencing layoffs, job loss, debt that you cannot seem to knock back. On the flip side, some of you feel like all you ever do is work because you can't seem to get enough money to take care of all of those things. Some of you have people missing right now. Again, pandemic, there's been illness, there's been sickness, people have died. Some of you are going into your first Christmas, your first season without somebody, and it feels really alone, and it feels really hard to celebrate and find the joy in the Christmas season right now. Some of you have people missing in your lives, and it's not due to a health reason, you actually don't know what happened. And so you're going in with this person who was there for so long, this relationship that you had that all of a sudden is just missing and there's a hole. And you're left with the anger, you're left with the confusion, you're left with not even knowing what happened, but that person is no longer in your life. Some of you are in here with unfulfilled dreams, unanswered prayers that you just keep bringing to God over and over again, unanswered questions that you keep bringing to God over and over again because you can't find an answer. Or maybe you're here and you've given up the prayers, you've given up the questions, and you just are left sitting in heartbreak, depression, loneliness. So what do we do? Where is God in our crisis? Well, I think what we tend to do is we cope, <laughs> right? We cope, we look for comfort. That's why they're called comfort foods, because what do we do first? We eat, right? Some of us eat too much. Some of us don't eat enough when we're trying to find comfort. Some of us drink too much. Some of us shop too much. We buy things that we don't need because we're looking for some kind of temporary fix. We're looking for something that's gonna make us feel better. Sleep is another thing that people can use to cope. Some of you are sleeping all the time. Some of you can't sleep at all, right? It can be one or the other and both can be a way of coping. Some of you, maybe it's me, are crying for no reason, and you don't even know why. Except that if somebody were to ask you and be like, why are you crying? You can't pinpoint the one thing, but you're like, how much time do you have? Because I could just list them out, right? There have been points in this actual Christmas season where I know for a fact I have been living out my life in like a high-functioning depression, trying not to face all of the heaviness and all of the things and repress all of the emotions because it is too much to handle. Last week, Pastor Naeem talked about how this is all actually okay. It's okay. It's okay if you're saying things that you don't even want to say. It's okay if you're behaving in ways that you know you shouldn't be behaving, if you're thinking about things, if you're considering and contemplating all of these things because we are in the midst of a crisis. But our response is to take that to God, process that with him, and do it with him. That's how we let him in. So we cope, and then we also try to skip through the hard part. We try to skip through and fast forward to the end. We don't want to be in the middle. We don't want to be in the hard, so we try to jump forward to the healing. We try to fast forward to the wholeness, to the certainty, to the joy, to the knowing, to when it's going to be better. And even though we know it's not possible, like that TikTok, do you guys know that TikTok video? Asa knows it. There's a TikTok, thank you. Guys, I know, listen, I forgot that I was old, I got on TikTok, now these are like my examples, okay? If you know, you know that that was a really, really good example. I'm just going to move past this. 
we have unfortunately convinced ourselves that it is possible to jump through and to fast forward to the end. And we do this by trying to control our situations. Can I get an amen here, please? At Christmas, right? Especially is when we should go the other way. At Christmas, when everything is chaotic, is when we should be like, oh, peace, tidings of comfort and joy. Not in my house. I'm not that mom, unfortunately. (laughs) At my house, when everything is chaotic, I'm like, here's what we're going to do. We're doing all the things. We're making cookies. We are making gingerbread houses. You're going to put on a sweater. You're going to listen to this Christmas music and like it. You are going to wear that red bow. I don't care that you're too old for bows. Put it in. We're going to do this. We're going to look at lights. And I'm going to yell at you right now so we can get in the car and drive around and find some peace. (laughs) I wish I was kidding. In my notes, I wrote down this happened last weekend. It also happened yesterday, okay? (laughs) So I'm very honest with you. Christmas has been hard around our house this year. And so I am trying to control all the things and do all the things that are going to bring me the peace, that are going to bring me what the season is supposed to be about so that I can find what is missing because I can't seem to find it. But we know why it doesn't work because none of those things is what Christmas is actually about. If we go ask our kids what Christmas is about, They might say Santa, Elf on the Shelf presents first, but eventually they'll get there. They know what Christmas is about. Do we remember what Christmas is about? Christmas is about God showing up when people needed him the most. Instead of coping and controlling and trying to fast forward to the end, because we know those aren't the things we're supposed to do, Scripture tells us what we do need to do. David, again, in another psalm, Psalm 103, says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. So I want to look at the story of the first Christmas so we can see that that is actually what Mary and Joseph did. They remembered the God of their past so that they could trust him for their future. So in the first Christmas, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. So like, they're not quite married yet, but they're committed. It's in this weird kind of stage that they're going through things. Um, But so they're not quite married, but they're definitely like together. It's legit. It's legal. It's a thing. And so the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and he tells her, hey, I know you're a virgin because again, only in the process of this legal thing, we haven't actually like quite finished it out yet, you know? So Mary is... Wait for it. I'm like, it's going to sit. It's going to hit. You're going to get it. Okay. So the angel comes to her and is like, hey, you're going to have a baby. I know already that's crazy. Also, this is going to be the Messiah that your people have been waiting for. And she's like, okay. And then also at the same time, as Joseph is hearing this, trying to figure out if he even believes her story, what is he going to do? How is he going to go forward with this? God speaks to him in a dream and it's like, it's cool. She's right. I did that. Don't worry about it. You can keep going on with the process of marrying her. And not long after that, as she goes through her pregnancy, there's a census. And so they have to travel back to Bethlehem where Joseph is from. In the end, they get there. Baby Jesus is born. He is the Messiah. All kinds of unlikely people come to confirm that that is actually true. But we're not going to fast forward to the end today. I want to sit 
in Mary and Joseph's journey and see that they were actually in crisis themselves. So if we go back to that definition of difficulty, trouble, and danger, let's look at Mary and Joseph. Difficulty. It is difficult to be pregnant at all. Okay? I can imagine that it was really, really difficult to be pregnant back then when there were no, you know, hospitals or like any of the other medical things or little bougie tricks that we rely on. No, no bouncy balls, no pregnancy balls, okay? No like candies to ease the nausea, like none of that stuff. And not only that, but now they had to travel back to Bethlehem, 80 miles, 80 miles. You're like, oh, that's not too bad. 80 miles isn't too bad. And they had a donkey, right? They could get on the donkey and just go. Okay, so if you're thinking that, I have a donkey out back. And if you want to come jump on it, you can just get on that donkey and go to like Greensboro. Anybody? Any takers? Anybody want to like get on a donkey, go down to Green, uh, to where, what's it in my notes? I had to look it up. To Columbia, South Carolina, 80 miles away on a donkey? No? Nobody? Yeah. See, they had to go all the way there. And yes, they had the donkey, but let me look up. I looked up in, um, some donkey facts for you because Loki, this is the favorite. This is my favorite character of the whole Bible story is the donkey actually. So donkeys really were there, like not to make them go faster, but really just to carry all this stuff. And maybe he did carry Mary for part of the way, but donkeys only go like three and a half or four miles per hour. That's how fast they go. That's how fast you go, by the way, also, (laughs) if you're walking. So let's just say they're going to go straight through. That's 22 hours to get there, 22 hours to walk or ride on a donkey. But how many of you have ever traveled with a pregnant woman and know you're not going straight through? Okay? She's going to have to stop and go to the bathroom. She's going to have to have a break from Joseph. Like, she's just going to need a minute. It's going to take them longer than that. By the way, for Thanksgiving, we drove to Virginia um, with my family, my husband, and my two daughters, and it was supposed to take eight and a half hours to get there. So a long drive already. You want to know how long it took us? 3,700 hours. <laughs> Actually, they're still there. They're still driving. They're still on their way. <laughs> It always takes longer than planned. Always takes longer than planned. Also, the donkey could not actually walk all the way through. Joseph probably couldn't walk all the way through. So they would have only gone 10 or 20 miles a day. And it would have been a difficult trip. There were hills. It would have been freezing at night in the desert. There were no stops. There's no Starbucks for a pick-me-up. There's no AirPods so they could put in a podcast and pretend they wanted to listen to something but really just have a moment to themselves. It would have been difficult, and they were in trouble. Mary was pregnant. It's not Joseph's. They're in the middle of this new relationship, trying to figure out their lives together and what they're going to do, and now they've got this reputation that they're carrying. And it's not only Mary. Joseph also now has a bit of a reputation in a sense because he was a godly man. He was a righteous man. He was supposed to uphold the law and all of the customs and all of the things. And so when all of a sudden now Mary is pregnant and it's not his fault, he, by law, by custom, probably should have divorced her. The other option, if he didn't divorce her, was to call her out publicly in front of everyone and let her be stoned to death. These are his two choices. So now Joseph, who has made the decision to not do either of those and stay with her, is now also in trouble. There are still people that think because of the choice that he made, he is now in the wrong because this is not what he should have done. They were also in danger in their travels. They were traveling for a census. That means 
everyone had to go back to where they came from. I think we picture Mary and Joseph and the donkey just like, you know, walking along, like in the grass. It's just them. There's nobody around. The whole world was walking around. Everybody was moving. They would be encountering people, passing them, going this way, strangers, people that they did not know. And they would have been prime targets as vulnerable travelers. She is pregnant. It's just the two of them for bandits, robbers, people looking for all kinds of shenanigans to come in for vulnerable targets. Also, fun fact, archaeologists have found documents dating back to this time that actually talk about and mention like bears, lions, wild boars in the woods. I thought literally there were sheep and camels and like that's it. And the one donkey, Mary's donkey, that's it. But they had all of these wild animals that they would have had to fend off as well. Any food that Mary and Joseph would have been carrying, those animals would have wanted it. I mean, geez, they probably would have wanted Mary and Joseph as food if they could have. This was dangerous. They were in trouble. It was hard. So what did they do? They remembered God's faithfulness, and they trusted God for their future. See, Mary and Joseph both would have been religious people. They grew up knowing um, scripture and their faith, and they wouldn't have had like a little Bible to refer to. They didn't have one in their pocket. They didn't have a cell phone app that they could pull out and scroll to find or like do the Google, like, I need a verse about joy. Give me a verse about comfort. They didn't have that. But they had things tucked away in their hearts multiple times in scripture. It says that Mary pondered things in her heart. I love that so much. They would have had the oral tradition, the stories, the prophecies, things that would have been passed down that they would have remembered, that they would have memorized because they would have grown up listening to these things and hearing them. So they were probably having conversations. It would not surprise me that if, uh, while they're on this journey, they're actually sharing stories and they're sharing uh, prophecies and they're sharing all the things as they're recalling. And I wish I could see the moment where it like hits them that it's them, right? Where they're talking about it and they're like, oh yeah, remember this? Oh my gosh, that's me. Oh yeah, and then remember this baby's gonna be born? Oh my gosh, that's our baby. Like I can just see them talking about all of these things and it really hitting home that not only are they gonna have this like one moment of her birthing the Messiah, but they're going to be fulfilling years of prophecy and scripture. They would have known the prophecy in Isaiah that says the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. But I can just see them recalling all of these things. We don't know exactly what their conversation was, but we do know that Mary does this because it is recorded in Luke. We know that she found comfort in looking back and thinking about other ways that God had showed up. After Gabriel comes and sees her and comes to talk to her, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is also in the middle of a miraculous pregnancy. And they're talking about their two miracle babies. And Mary says in Luke, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And she goes on, this is only part of it, and it's often referred to as Mary's song or the Magnificat, 
But basically, as you read it, you just get this sense that Mary is praising God from her spirit. She's thanking God for all that he has done in her and for her and in her life. But there's another miraculous pregnancy. A thousand years earlier with a woman named Hannah. This is her song in 1 Samuel. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Now, you're like, why did you read these two things? Maybe you picked up on the similarities, the common language, the same words, the same tone. It's, it's not word for word. Mary didn't like straight rip it off of Hannah. But many, many scholars have noted the similarities, not just in words, but in pattern, in um, context, and those things that they were talking about. And so I think that Mary was inspired by Hannah's words, not because she didn't know how to pray, not because Mary couldn't come up with her own words, but because there is comfort in knowing someone else has been in my shoes. Someone else has been in this experience. Someone else has been here and has come through on the other side. I think Mary was inspired by Hannah's story and knew that if God could bring her through a similar situation, she could put her trust in God that he would do the same for her. Can I also mention real quick while we're talking about Mary's song, we don't know how she was when she sang this, right? This is one of those things where we like to look at Mary and use this specific scripture as an example of like, Mary was faithful and she was so willing and she was so excited, and maybe she was, but we don't know. And her response was not immediate. This song, this response did not come until after she'd gone to see Elizabeth. And we already talked about traveling back in the day and how it would have taken a minute to get there. She would have had plenty of time to ponder in her heart and to process. So we don't know how long it took Mary to get to this place. We don't know what her posture was when she said or sang these words. Maybe she was joyful, praising God, very excited. Or maybe she was on the floor. Maybe she was in the middle of crisis. Maybe she was crying and she was praising and saying words to God that she wanted to believe. And out of obedience, she was saying, I know this is what you've called me to. I want to believe for that miracle. I want to believe in myself the way that you apparently believe in me. And so I'm going to praise and say these words. Maybe she was clinging on to the faithfulness of her past so that she could trust God for her future. You know, we have a, a vision of Mary, especially at Christmas, a way that we like to picture her. And we like to see Mary like this, right? We like to fast forward to the end because we've got Mary and it's Jesus and babies are so cute. And this is just like the pretty little peaceful picture. But we forget that for much of the story, Mary actually looked like this. Mary actually looked like this. This was her season. This is who she was for most of this Christmas story. And if you've never been pregnant, let me tell you, this can feel like a crisis. <laughs> this can feel like a crisis. There's a baby growing within you. It is going from nothing to a person, from nothing to a human. That is weighty. That is a responsibility. And for Mary, she's like, not only that, but it's the Messiah. 
Like, I am responsible for raising the Messiah? Do you want to know when moms start worrying about messing up their kids? Immediately. Immediately. So she had nine months of not only physical changes in her body, but mentally worrying about, is she going to raise this kid right? What is she going to do? She doesn't know what to do. Also, her physical body was going through a crisis. It was going through changes. There's the obvious, right? The baby bump. But so much more happens when a woman is pregnant. Her bones soften. Her lungs expand. All of her organs enlarge and move around. Did you know that a woman's heart gets bigger as she's preparing for her baby to be born? All of this was happening and taking place. Mary had to grow. Everything about her was growing. Everything within her was growing and being prepared for what was about to come. Some of you are in the season that you are in because God is still growing you and preparing you for what is about to come. Some of you cannot fast forward to the end and you have to accept that you need to be where you are because God is still growing you. God is still preparing you for what is about to come in his right timing. And if you ask a pregnant woman, if they're ready to be done, they're probably going to say yes. But they also know the danger in that. There is a danger to a baby being born too soon and too early. It is dangerous to fast forward and rush to the end and try to control it instead of trusting God. Besides the fact that it's going to rob us of what we need, if we fast forward and we show up too early, we are going to be underdeveloped. We are going to be unprepared. And we are not going to be able to function on our own. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. There is purpose in where you are right now. Will you trust God with your future? I know some of you are like, cool, great, good for Mary and Joseph. But I'd still like to know where God is in my crisis. Okay? Let's go back to that prophecy of Isaiah. The words that Gabriel gave to Mary. And Matthew says, look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, we associate Jesus with Christmas and forget that God has anything to do with it. But God did not look down from heaven, peek over the clouds, and go, whew, Jesus, you go fix it. You go figure out what in the heck they are doing down there. You go and take care of it. God did not go, I'm God. I have a magic wand. I can do whatever I want. He could have gone, bloop, you're healed. Bloop, fixed. Bloop, saved them. That's what magic wands sound like, by the way. They go, bloop. <laughs> he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. Instead, God looked down and he saw humanity. And he saw the brokenness. And he saw the mess. And he heard their prayers. And his response was, you're right. It is hard. It is sad. It's too sad. It's too heavy. It's too much. So I'm going to give you what you really need. I'm coming. I'm coming. 
God put on skin, became a messy human, and entered our broken world himself to be with us, not to fix us, not to say clean it up, not to say get over it already, not to say figure out your emotions, figure out your life, come on, let's get through to the other side. No, to be in it with us. He entered the world that first Christmas as Emmanuel, God with us. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he took it up another level. He took it up another level. About 30 years later, Jesus was preparing to go back to heaven. And he was trying to get his followers to understand that like, even though he was leaving, because he was about to be crucified, even though he was leaving, he wasn't really leaving, which doesn't make any sense at all. It didn't make, doesn't make sense to, for me to say it out loud. It didn't make sense to them. So he's trying to explain. He's trying to tell them in John, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you in your crisis. I will not leave you without guidance. I will not leave you without a parent. I will not leave you without protection. I will come to you again. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. The Hebrew word for this spirit of God that Jesus said he's going to send is ruach, which can translate to breath, an actual breath. We literally have life because God's breath is in us. Verse 20, it says, on that day, on that day that was coming when the world will not see him anymore, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. And on that day, Jesus did leave. He was crucified in front of some of these people that he was trying to get to understand this very message. And one of those people was Mary, finding herself in crisis again, finding herself in a day that she knew was coming. Because Mary remembered the past. She remembered the good things. She remembered all of the prophecies and all of the declarations and all of the good stuff. But she also remembered all of the other things that had been said about Jesus. She remembered when he was like a week old and she and Joseph took him to the temple to be dedicated to God. And Simeon and Anna prophesied over him and declared all of these amazing things. And it says that even though they knew what was coming, Mary and Joseph were amazed at what they heard. But she also would have remembered after that when Simeon turned and looked at her and said, a painful sword will one day pierce your inner being for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. And the destiny of your child is this, he will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. Whether she understood that or not, 
that is not the kind of thing that a mother forgets. How many times did she think about this? How many times did she wake up and go, is today the day? How many times did she go back to these words and go, okay, is it when he's 10? Is it when he's 13? Is it when he's 18? Is it when he does his first miracle and now he's 30? When is this coming? How many times did she think about this? Every time something or someone came against Jesus, did she go back to these words? Jesus' birth, Emmanuel, God with us, does not mean that our lives will be void of crisis. If it did, Mary would have never had another bad day in her entire life. She lived with him daily. Jesus' birth means that when the crisis does come back, when the hard days do come back around, he will be in it with us. And so I picture Mary at the foot of the cross, probably just like this, but without the baby in her arms, just looking up at him, looking at this grown man who I can only imagine as a mom, she's actually seeing as a baby, and the heartbreak that she must have felt sitting there, how alone she must have felt sitting there, finding herself in crisis, not really understanding what is going on. And there's people all around her, but nobody could be in that moment with her. For some of you, you are in a crisis that even if you're going through it with other people, you feel so alone and you're like, no one understands. And they might not. There is no one who could have understood what Mary was experiencing, what she was going through in that moment. And I can only imagine that the one way she got through the most horrific moments of her life was to think back on the faithfulness of God in the past. Did she go back to that first Christmas when Gabriel showed up to her and said, do not be afraid, Mary. The Lord is with you. Did she go back to Hannah's songs? Did she go back to the prophecy of Isaiah? Did she go back to living life and having moments with Jesus himself? Did she go back to Emmanuel, God with us, or Jesus' own words when he said, I will be with you forever, so that she could trust God for her future? In that moment, the future did not look bright. She did not see joy. She did not see light. She did not see how it could ever get better. And it would be dark for Mary for a bit. It would be dark for her for a season before she saw the promise fulfilled. But Mary chose to keep believing, to keep trusting in God, to keep going back to his faithfulness of the past. And she chose to keep believing that maybe one day he would show up again in another place that didn't make sense, in another season where everything seemed to have gone wrong, where no one would expect him. Regardless of what was going on around her, Mary chose to remember that God was with her and God is in her. And we have the same choice today. What crisis are you in? What are you facing that you are trying to control? Where you need to trust God instead. And trusting does not mean I know what's coming, and so now I'm just going to patiently wait for it. 
Trusting means I have no clue how this can possibly pan out. God, I have no idea how you're going to work this for good. But I'm going to trust in your character. I'm going to trust in the past and trust that you can and you will. God showed up for Mary and Joseph as Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And God showed up again for us in the Holy Spirit and that ruach breath that is in us. Friends, that is my prayer for us this morning, that we can remember either God's faithfulness of our own past or the faithfulness of God in the Bible and the lives of people around us. And we can put our trust in that, that we can put our trust in him for our futures going forward. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that as confusing as it can be sometimes, God, that you and Jesus are the same. <laughs> that you did not stay up in heaven and decide that you were gonna send somebody else down to deal with us and to fix us and to handle it, but that, God, you came down yourself. God, and, and we're, we're not worthy, but we're so grateful. We can never love you as much as you love us, but God will try. And so, Lord, I pray that regardless of what is going on, that right now, Lord, you would stir in the hearts and minds and spirits of people. God, whether they're watching this here online, watching it later, if this was a message that was shared with them, God, I pray that your message would be so loud and clear in their hearts, God, that you are with them and you are in them. God, I pray for all of us experiencing crisis. God, I pray for Christmas seasons that are hard and heavy and that don't feel like we think they're supposed to feel. God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are here and you're not just here because of baby Jesus. God, but that you're here always. And you're never going to leave us. God, give us patience, give us courage, give us strength. God, and I just pray against any voice of the enemy that is going to try to swoop in and tell people that they are alone. Because you are with them. God, I pray that we would remember this, not just this week, not just for Christmas. Lord, but going forward. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.